Hello, friends. You are listening to episode 86 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. You might say this is a bonus because this is actually our second episode in one week. Don't get used to it, folks, but we figured we would catch up a little bit on what we missed when we were out on break a little bit. So we're actually going to be talking about this week's current issue. But my name is Eric, and I can't just talk about that myself. I got to bring in my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, it just seems like yesterday we were talking to each other. Maybe? It does. Well, you know, you and, and I, we've got nothing nothing to do. So we might as well record two uh, our weekly episodes in, in one week. Yeah, that, that free time. Why do people complain about that? We got all of it. Who needs to debug an HPC cluster? Ah, yeah, no, that, that, that's, that, that, that's, uh, that's wasted effort. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm very happy to have that behind me. Um, again, that might be bonus content if we ever get money for this <laughs> ordeal I went through with that. But what's not an ordeal is us talking about the current issue of our weekly, which is issue 2022-W28 which has been curated by Jonathan Carroll, one of our longtime Our Weekly uh, curators, and who also has just revived a very crucial part of our backend service, mainly the RSS feed capability. So if you know of a website or you have a website where you're regularly producing our content, you will see a link at the top of the issue for complete details on getting your feed for your site added to our weekly's uh, automation of story curation. So that has been uh, on the fritz for a bit since our um, back-end chaos that started late last year. But thanks to Jonathan's great efforts, we're at least back and running in some of it. And there's going to be obviously much more improvements to come. But I want to thank John already for getting that up and running for us. And yeah, it's, it's great to slowly start get back to normal on that front. But without further ado, let's dive into our highlights today. So, we always like continuity on the Wiki Highlights podcast, and our first highlight is a great companion piece to our first highlight from the last episode, episode 85. Have a listen to that if you missed it. But in that episode, we learned about best practices and opportunities for hosting shiny applications that are encapsulated inside Docker containers. Well, shiny apps are not the only way we can provide someone with an interactive experience to explore, say, data science or data analysis results or other things like that. When you think of viewing reports in the R ecosystem, of course, one great important package comes to mind. That's R Markdown. That has been around for many years now, but it has really revolutionized how we communicate our results of data analyses. And if you even played a little bit of our markdown, you have seen how the web-based HTML formats are super important for giving the, the viewer a great interactive experience over the traditional Word and PDF formats, for example. Now, when you need that little extra boost of interactivity from the R side of things, our markdown has supported for many years the shiny runtime which effectively turns your report into a mini streamlined Shiny app. Now, Peter Salamos, once again, has authored a fantastic post on his hosting data app site for how you can apply some of those same best practices and more that we learned about for creating Docker containers 
but applying those to encapsulate your R Markdown report environments and ways you can host that. So in this post, which of course is linked as every post of our highlights here, um, Peter has a great example, a simple example of both a fully interactive R Markdown report that has the shiny runtime component and a static version, which may have interactive plots, but it's just more of your typical HTML format. And from setting up the example, we walk through the different steps to create a very streamlined Docker container. When I say streamlined, in the first example, there are maybe 10 or so lines in the Docker file, and that's quite tidy compared to what the ones I have built. So I got to take lessons in the keeping mine a bit more streamlined. But what's nice is that I see some additional tips that even I didn't know after all my years of using Docker, such as using what are called multi-stage um, build environments, where you can kind of chain together different pieces of the infrastructure and take advantage of images that are already out there in the community, which is great for the efficiency of your container runtime and also minimizing the size further. And I'm also intrigued by another capability that he mentions on the hosting side of it called OpenFast, hopefully I'm saying that right, which is another way to host what we call the serverless applications that are built on Docker, but it gives you some additional metrics if you wanna look at say usage tracking or overall performance of your host of content. So again, it's more choice in this field. But the big picture here is that if you have, you know, an important analysis that you have, you know, done the great work of making reproducible with our markdown, it's much like Shiny itself. You want to make it so that the viewing of that content has no surprises when you actually have to update things, but also push that out to a deployment platform. And again, containers are becoming a real important piece of that reproducibility puzzle here. And again, with, with what Docker brings you is more choice into where you actually put this content. This advent of serverless infrastructure is becoming much more prevalent now than it was a few years ago. So again, definitely check out Peter's post for the specific Docker images, the Docker layers and the Docker file that are encapsulating the R Markdown report, but it's very straightforward. And again, it's a great companion to this bigger picture of leveraging container technology in innovative ways. Yeah, well, it seems like there's a, a theme across Peter and Analithium's uh, blog post, which is awesome. And last week was Docker containers and Shiny. This week, it's all about uh, Docker containers and our markdown, uh, but not straying too far away from Shiny because we're talking about interactive our markdown. And at, at like a really high 10,000 foot level, I think this goes beyond analyzing data and it's all about building services for people to use and consume. And one of the most common issues I've heard about in the past when you're trying to build our markdown driven services is slow knitting and rendering. It, and we know that, you know, if you're knitting just in your RStudio pane, uh, knitting a file takes a lot longer than it would just to run a script uh, in your environment. And that's because it's got to render all this HTML and that time might make it impractical to build a service that multiple people are trying to access simultaneously, for instance. Um, fortunately, Peter highlighted something that I didn't know, that there is a YAML option uh, called Runtime Shiny RMD, 
instead of runtime shining uh, that you can put in your YAML header, header of your interactive R Markdown document. And it allows you to pre-render a lot of the HTML uh, before, beforehand, which leads to some serious speed improvements. So really cool to see that option. That was new to me. Um, maybe it'll be new to you in the audience. And I'm also like you, Eric, super intrigued by open FAS, open function as a service. I know it's a service, no pun intended, that Peter and his team rave about. Uh, I know that open FAS plays nicely with R. So it's really just a matter of time before I have to find a use case for it. And I'm sure you as well. And we dive into it head first and maybe we'll cover that uh, on an episode and it'll make our weekly once we finally do. But uh, one thing I love about Peter's blog, like you pointed out, how straightforward it is, he takes the time to really explain each step in his process and, and specifically down to the point where he's explaining what exactly every line of his Docker file does and why it's there, which is really cool. And to me, it makes Docker, which is, is probably scary for folks who are just uh, you know more native to, to just using R day in and day out, but it makes it, it way more approachable. Um, when he kind of goes step by step and explains exactly what's going on, it's like, oh, there's not that there's not that many lines here in this Docker file. It's not that uh, it's not that convoluted. Some of these functions actually sort of sound like the verbs that as what they're doing. So uh, so so pretty awesome blog post by Peter, and it's it's great to see him back in the the roundup this week. Yeah, I think when you're educating this kind of audience of you know we're we're obviously well versed in data science, we're well versed in R, but when you're bringing in this new world that comes from DevOps or other IT sectors, making that accessible right off the bat is a course going to help the motivation for somebody who wants to take this, you know, in, in further directions. Um, it, not to sound like the dinosaur I am, but back in my day when I was first learning this, yeah, there wasn't a lot of resources about using Docker with R and, and a lot of these data science workflows. So you're trying to mend together all these very IT centric tutorials that expect you to know the ins and outs of compilers of how to debug stack traces and who knows what else with file cache, squash FS file systems. I'm just having fun throwing out the buzzwords, by the way. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger here. Um, but it was, but what Peter does here, it, it's a great way to distill that. And then once you get that, the hang of the early goings of it, then when you see those more IT centric presentations or tutorials about using Docker, it'll start to connect more, so to speak. So yes, we're, we're big fans of what Peter does. So um, keep, keep up that great content. I don't know how you find the time to do that, Peter, with everything else you have going on, but we're greatly appreciative of it, especially for a, a self-professed Linux and container nerd like me to be able to blend all my favorites together in one place. I don't know if he's going to our studio comp, but if he is there, I feel like if you two got in a room together, you might never get out. Well, I will say, um, I mean, that is a good thing. Yeah, that's a very good thing. Yes. <laughs> um, I will say that whatever it happens at our studio conf or elsewhere, Peter will be a future guest on the shiny dev series. You can bank that. We're working out the details now, but we're going to, we're going to have some fun talking about that for sure. Speaking of fun, it seems like just yesterday that Absalon held the very successful Absalon Shiny conference that took place back in April. Like I said, it doesn't seem that long ago. And there was a lot of terrific content 
from all mem uh, many prominent members of the Shiny community. In fact, yours truly here and your favorite co-host here have had some great presence at that same conference too. You got to check out Mike's awesome talk on creating custom bootstrap cards for your Shiny app. That was a lot of fun to, to watch live. And it is, of course, on YouTube, like all the other recordings. And also, you joined me on a great Shiny Dev Series panel discussion. So we'll have links to both of those in the supplements of the show notes here. And the conference was also greatly supported by our studio. Of course, that's where Shiny came from, right? And they provided terrific content in a few different ways as well. So Isabella Valesquez from our studio has a great write-up on the RStudio blog with a bit of key takeaways and summaries from the contributions that they made to the Shiny conference. And there are two main ones in particular. First, uh, Bear Slurky, who we've heard about in his great adventures and author of The Plumber Package, has recently released the next generation of testing and regression testing in Shiny apps, the package called Shiny Test 2. This is a terrific improvement over the original Shiny Test. In fact, I cannot stress enough how much better the, excuse the pun, the plumbing behind Shiny Test 2 is compared to Shiny Test, the original, mainly with using the headless Chrome browser to launch your application interactively in a browsing session versus the old Phantom JS framework, which has been basically end of life for over oh, five years or so. I'm probably exaggerating here, but I, I went through a lot of wars of that and I don't, I'm never going to get those hours back debugging Phantom JS quirks. But I've already had in my early explorations of Shiny Test 2 a much smoother experience running that on some simple apps thus far. And I liken Shiny Test 2 in a similar way to what RMV is to the older PackRat. It's taking those same ideas, but you see so many user experience improvements, you see so much backend improvements. Hence why it's a brand new package. Like Barrett had to make the call that it wasn't worth trying to keep backward compatibility with the original Shiny test in the infrastructure side of things. But it is a fresh beginning, but you still can import your old Shiny test scripts into a Shiny test 2 framework. So you get the best of both worlds here, a streamlined backend and to be able to import what you did previously. And on top of that, at the conference, I was extremely lucky to be able to moderate the keynote panel discussion at the very end with our studio's own Winston Chang and Joe Chang from the Shiny team, as well as Absalon's president, Philippe Satura, to revisit a few key, you might say, nostalgic areas of previous uh, development in Shiny, their take on a lot of the questions from the community especially around alternative frameworks for building applications in data science, and some hints about the future of Shiny, which um, yours truly tried to get them to reveal a little more, but apparently we're not going to hear more about that until our studio comp. But you'll have to watch the recording for the teasers around that. But yes, it was an excellent discussion. They answered all of our questions, and they are just so excited, just like I am, about the success of Shiny is driven so much by what the community has done with it. Both in the early days when we were all, in essence, trying to figure out the best ways of using it, trying to understand the, the nooks and crannies of reactivity, 
up until just taking it in future directions that make it so that you can blend so much additional user experience and backend functionality to your apps without just using Shiny itself. So awesome panel discussion. Am I biased about? Oh, heck yeah, I am. But it's definitely worth a watch if you didn't catch it live. How about you, Mike? What did you think about our studio's recap of this? Well, you were the interviewer extraordinaire at the Epsilon Shiny Conference this year. And I just want to reemphasize what an amazing job you did, not only leading the panel discussion that I was lucky enough to be on about Shiny and Consulting, but also that primetime talk uh, with Winston and Joe that you were just talking about. To me, it, I love reliving this uh, in our weekly this week. It, it just feels so great to have, a, have had a Shiny Conference again. I learned a ton. Um, and like you said, the stuff we have at our fingertips now with shiny test two is incredible. Obviously now that there's a shiny test two and Barrett made that decision that implies that there's a shiny test package, which we know an original OG, if you will, does that mean that there is an OG ggplot package hanging around out there that predates ggplot two that I should try to import and just see what happens sometimes? Yes, there is. Have fun. <laughs> very interesting. Oh, I could, I could make, uh, I could make some clients' life very interesting if I handed them off some uh, R scripts that import ggplot instead of ggplot too. We are still nice people on the podcast, but yes, we we can dream a little bit. You only had to bleep me out once last week. (laughs) (laughs) But Absalon, um, I saw that they turned the conference videos into a playlist on YouTube, which is awesome. So start that playlist, plug in your headphones, and feel like you're right back in the conference. That's my advice. Yes. In fact, um, I'll, I'll reveal it here. I've revealed this a little bit on my Twitch streams too, but when I'm doing the household chores and, and other things like that. I have our content of some sort streaming on a, on a phone or, or, or even my headphones or whatever makes it makes those jobs much easier. But then I'll, after I hear it, I'm like, Oh wait, that idea. Then I'll cook, go back to my computer and follow up on whatever great resource they said. But yes, even almost all the talks from the Absalon shining conference have these nuggets that you'll want to, follow up on. So there is something for everybody. And again, it was a true pleasure to be a part of it. I think it was a great success. And you you were very kind, Mike, with your with your praise there. I was um, certainly nervous to make sure I didn't, you know, do anything to screw anything up, as they say. But um, I, hopefully that we'll have it again next year. And yeah, I'm sure that we have a lot of members of the community involved as well. So we will have the link to that entire playlist in the show notes. So you can take our advice and and binge watch all the great content at your leisure. Speaking of watching, we love ourselves some interactive tutorials, right? So our last highlight is coming from a, a good friend of the Arwuki highlights and, and previous issues. And Albert Rapp is back at it again, um, not just writing great content, but he's starting producing some media content as well. And he's built this, um, or he's recorded this great tutorial on building a point and click game within Shiny involving mapping data, which I know can be a quite a hairy experience, but this is a terrific, um, a terrific tutorial here. Mike, why don't you take us through what you learned from that? 
Yes, it's nice to see Albert back in the rotation, not just once this week, uh, but twice. And that's some foreshadowing for a little bit later on. But he is back educating us this time with a video uh, instead of a blog, which is awesome, up on YouTube as well. And essentially what he's trying to do is play a quote-unquote game where he has a map and uh, there is a random street that comes up above the app. And you have to click on the map close to where you think that street is. So you have to be somewhat familiar with the area you know, to, to be good at this game essentially. So he has it, I think for a, a German town or something like, or a German city, um, he has a, a nice little map as in this shiny app and uh, he builds it out slowly over time. And it gets to the point where you click on the map. He's able to draw a circle with some sort of buffer zone around the point that you clicked. And based upon distance calculations, see if that street is within that buffer zone. If it is, then good job. You get a prize. Uh, that you have to go out and get yourself and <laughs> pat on the back. And if it's not, uh, you lost that turn. So that's that, that's all. But it's a, a really cool use case for building a shiny app that involves some pretty nifty uh, server-side components. And uh, I am way behind the times because I honestly don't think I knew that render plot in the server uh, code of your shiny app provides you with some free of charge capture of your client side events, like clicking on a plot or brushing. I knew I've used this many times with Plotly and with eCharts for R, like the interactive um, graphical libraries, but I had not known or in so far done that same sort of concept with just ggplot and render plot. Um, so if you create an output in your server code called like output dollar sign map, using render plot, you get a free input called input map underscore click. So it's just tacking on the underscore click to whatever the name of your output is. And that gives you, in this case, because it's, it's sort of mapping, you can map that to uh, the latitude and longitude points on your map based upon the XY coordinates of where you clicked on that particular ggplot. And that's what allowed him to do all those distance calculations and set that circular sort of threshold around the point that got clicked. So very, very cool use case, very great walkthrough of his code. It starts totally from scratch. He starts with a blank shiny snippet and works all the way up to the end uh, of the app. And uh, really, really well done from Albert. Excited to see more of this. It's about a half an hour long. So that's the time that you got to invest to, to learn something that I think is really, really cool. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. And I, with regard to the interactive uh, plotting events, that was one of those features that came, I would say, in the first half of Shiny's life. And I'm not sure if I would call it under the radar, but certainly there wasn't as much attention on that rollout as you've been seeing in some of the other enhancements that they made, especially around you know tools for assessing production quality and and some of the great efforts in caching and the like. But what was interesting about this is that this was, to me, my first gateway using that feature on some very simple apps many years ago to this drill down reporting exploration that we often see in high profile dashboards and the like, where you have a widget that has some sort of summary data and it's presented maybe in a visual way, like a plot, or maybe it's a you know table or whatnot. 
But then when you interact with that and you're able to bring out what the user selected or what they chose, you can then do some further linking to other widgets or other outputs in your app to really bring that exploratory, you know, adventure mindset into your app. And this was a way to do this just with native shiny and native R packages in terms of not necessarily being built with web technology. Now, of course, you fast forward today, we have a multitude of packages that are web friendly in the HTML widgets ecosystem and the advent of things like crosstalk so that you can link, say, the brushing of a plotly plot that you were referring to and link that maybe into a DT data table for displays and the like. So that has definitely taken a lot more direction. But I, at least I credit that feature with native R plots in Shiny to have that interactive capability as giving me that lens into seeing that that was definitely possible. And there are many people that I talk to that are still quite happy with that because they can make a fantastic looking ggplot. And once you do that, you don't want to just throw that aside. You want to be able to take advantage of it. So being able to hook into that feature directly is a big win for creating a, a awesome user experience. But yeah, lots of nuggets like that and many more in Albert's thought process that's illustrated in real time. Because again, I think the best way to learn is by doing. And frankly, the workshop I have coming up in less than two weeks will have a healthy mix of you know the students and myself walking through how to build certain things that may be new to somebody or just the thought process around why we choose certain capabilities in a shiny app. So it's another great companion piece of some of the other tutorials that we've been seeing either from the team at our studio themselves or elsewhere in the community for, you know, the thought process and the development of a shiny app. And they make it fun too. Who who doesn't love playing a fun game in shiny? I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've had some interesting uh, shiny games on here in the last few weeks, which has been pretty cool. Yeah, and also the shiny contest that was held earlier this year, there were definitely a few winning entries in that space. So you, it's a great way to learn kind of how you hook logic with key events that the user does into like a backend functionality. So not only are they fun, they're great learning tools as well. So even the apps I'll be building in my workshop will have a gamification component to it because that's how people get really engaged. So I'm going to hop on that train until it stops. <laughs> oh, there's a little nice preview for those uh, that are going to be there. Oh yeah. I've been uh, keeping it close to the vest, but um, we're going to have fun. I'll, I'll say that. So speaking of fun, of course, the rest of the issue is just as fun at rweekly.org. You go ahead there and see the rest of the amazing content in this week's issue. So another great resource that caught my eye is from a very influential member of the R community and in the stat statistics community itself, Frank Harrell, who you may know has built one of the packages I used in my very early days of R called HMISC with a lot of his fancy uh, functions that he would use in his statistical modeling. He's the author of many books on, say, regression modeling and the like. Well, he has built a new website that's taking advantage of some of the newer packages and the newer paradigms in the R community combined with the traditional and novel statistical methodologies called R Workflow. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, but it's a great kind of up-to-date resource of some of the great content that Frank has produced 
in many different venues or mediums in the past, but it's all freely available and a great way to brush up on your stats knowledge and seeing how you tie that into the modern uses of R. So Mike, what did you find else in this issue? I have a little callback and I'm doing it. I'm doubling down on a contributor this week and re-shouting out Albert Rapp for his second R Weekly contribution this week around styling your Quarto blog with a minimal knowledge of HTML and CSS. Ooh. It's another YouTube video for everybody out there who's spinning up their Quarto blog or website or porting their distill website or blog uh, to Quarto to take advantage of all, all those nice new features that Quarto gives us. Albert does a great job of showing how a single CSS file can change the formatting across all of the posts on your blog. Um, like for instance, changing the font type or the font size for your blog header. You know, you, all you got to do is change that in a single CSS file or SCSS file, as he demonstrates, and that'll cascade through all the posts in your blog. So very cool that you have this sort of one-stop shop on your Quarto blog to be able to manage all of the formatting components that you could ever want uh, and need for publishing those beautiful blog posts with Quarto. That is a very timely find because I am polishing up my course website, which is built with Quarto. So I might theme it up a little bit with some of these tips. So Albert, thank you. You almost read my mind. I was just at that point getting to like the polishing stage. So this is Right up my alley. So yeah, Albert's uh, rocking all this great content. I don't know how he does it, but I need to keep up with all of you uh, brilliant people in the community. It's amazing around here. <laughs> Speaking of amazing, you know, the back catalog of our week was just as amazing, just as much as our podcast recordings with all of our unique takes, our, our great spotlights. And yes, we keep it real, as we say. So <laughs> there's lots of fun <laughs> moments to be had there um and you can find all that at rweekly.org the podcast links right at the top we also have links in the video and podcast section of the issue as well so hopefully it's easy to find and certainly our thanks to all of you that have been contributing with your poll requests and if you have great content that you'd like featured in the issue please get in touch with us at the github repo and send a poll request to our draft and We'll have that reviewed and merge that into the upcoming issue. And more backend services are being resurrected. We got some big plans for that. So we'll be keeping you all up to date on this very podcast on those efforts as well. Speaking of up to date, Mike, where can people find you online if they want to see what you're up to in your adventures? Sure. You can reach out uh, via Twitter if you'd like. Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. Or you can... Check out Catchbrook Analytics on LinkedIn to, to see what we're up to. Uh, post probably a little bit more there than I do on Twitter. Very cool. I am at the RCast. I'm going to be sending out some teasers for some various things happening at RStudioConf. I'm very excited for all that. And um, yeah, lots of crazy and, and fun things happening. So we definitely appreciate all of you listening around the world. And we'll be back with another edition of our weekly highlights next week.